Hello and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Marissa Martinelli, an assistant editor here at Slate, and today we're spoiling Isn't It Romantic? A would-be spoof of romantic comedies starring Rebel Wilson as a woman who finds her life suddenly transformed into exactly the kind of movie she usually hates. Notice I said a would-be spoof because it's up for debate whether Isn't It Romantic is subverting its rom-com tropes or just celebrating them. Here to help me puzzle that out, we have Slate staff writer Heather Schwadell. Hi, Heather. Hi, Marissa. And we have Slate Culture intern Asia Hoggett. Hi, Asia. Hi. I want to start by asking both of you about your relationships with romantic comedies. So last year, we saw in 2018 a kind of revival of the romantic comedy. Netflix found its niche with To All the Boys I've Loved Before and set it up. Everyone was talking about Love, Simon as sort of the first gay teen rom-com from a major studio. And of course, there was Crazy Rich Asians. Do you love them? Do you hate them? Do you love to hate them? Asia, let's start with you, since I know you have strong feelings about this. I absolutely love them. And I've probably seen like pretty much every rom-com in existence. It's a problem. It's an addiction. They're amazing. What do you love about them? Um, I, I'm very aware that they're highly unrealistic. They lack diversity, which is a problematic element. But I just kind of love what I leave feeling happy yeah it's interesting that you mentioned they're not realistic because I feel like that's a criticism we don't get of other genres like you don't usually leave a fantasy movie saying it wasn't realistic romantic comedies sort of adhere to certain tropes and we come to expect the lack of realism am I am I off base Heather I think uh because maybe so much of the drama is just interpersonal that it um instead of like action scenes it's easier to like key into it being unrealistic uh and also just love stories when that's the main focus and uh I guess it's easy to say it's unrealistic because everyone has experience with love um whereas probably you don't have experience being a superhero or like in a courtroom drama. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I happen to be an excellent superpowered lawyer. And I I also think the the unrealistic thing like you're painting with a pretty broad brush when you say that like sure I think uh how to lose a guy in 10 days is pretty unrealistic but then there's also like there are other subgenres of rom-com so like the Judd Apatow wave or the sort of indier wave we've got with like drinking buddies in the past few years that I don't really think they're known as unrealistic maybe it's it's just like a legacy that rom-coms don't deserve Are you a rom-com defender like Asia? Do you like rom-coms? Yes, big time. I love rom-coms. And for me, I think it's a nostalgia thing. Like, I grew up watching them, the the heyday of Nora Ephron. So a lot of them bring me back to childhood. <laughs> what are some of your absolute favorites? Okay. I, I love You've Got Mail. The uh, classic, yep. <laughs> uh, Bridget Jones's Diary, When Harry Met Sally. Um, there are a bunch of teen wave rom-coms like never been kissed that i love uh let's see 
I love them all. My best friend's wedding. (laughs) I also love my best friend's wedding. It's funny. We were talking, Asia and I, just before this recording. And Asia, you love Notting Hill, right? Yeah, I do. I love both. Another classic. (laughs) I find I'm glad I have both of you with me because I think I'm actually more of a rom-com cynic than either of you. The rom-coms I love, I mean, I'm a sucker for You've Got Mail because who isn't? The rom-coms I love tend to be the ones that subvert the genre anyway. Mm-hmm. My best friend's wedding, you know, they don't end up together at the end. That's a pretty big part of the movie. Glad 500 Days of Summer. Spoiler special. <laughs> spoiler for a movie that came out a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry. Um, but same, 500 Days of Summer also subverts the genre. Uh, even Crazy Rich Asians, to an extent, has a version of this in that the main character is not trying to win over the guy. She's trying to win over the guy's mother. Um, so I think that's a good segue to get us into this movie, Isn't It Romantic? Uh, to start with, let's talk about Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson has sort of built this career on being a character actress. She's very funny, does a lot of physical comedy. She got herself into some trouble right off the bat with this movie in claiming that she was the first plus-size lead of a romantic comedy. Asia, was she correct? No, she's not. (laughs) I mean, there are women, especially in the black community, like Queen Latifah and Monique, who have been doing this for years. It's nothing new. And like Ricky Lake as well, if we want to talk about, you know, non-black actresses. And someone like Queen Latifah has done mainstream films like Just Right and The Last Holiday, which I love. And her weight never has to be part of her comedy the way Rebel Wilson makes it part of her comedy and it's you know these films do well and they mean a lot to certain communities and to kind of discount that or to ignore these films was kind of a big misstep on Rebel Wilson's part but you know right I mean for all that it was clearly not the case that she's the first plus side lead you have to admit it is pretty rare Uh, And in the case of this movie and some other recent movies, for example, Amy Schumer's I Feel Pretty, there has definitely been a trend of this woman is not a size zero. She's not the, you know, typical rom-com lead. And it's actually part of the plot or meta. So in this movie, Rebel Wilson plays Natalie. She's an architect living in New York. Can we talk right off the bat about architects as romantic comedy leads? It seems like there are only a few acceptable careers for people in romantic comedies. Architect is right up there with Baker, journalist. But who people. else has been an architect in a romantic yeah, comedy? Uh, I, Steve Martin, and it's complicated. Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 500 Days of Summer. I feel like it's a stereotype for a, a man to be an architect or, or like uh, Ted in How I Met Your Mother. And it's kind of like... a a dream guy job, like maybe Mindy Kaling has talked about it, but I don't think we've seen a a female architect. Uh, So that's new. I don't know. But you're right that there, it has to be some sort of career that everyone knows off off the bat. No one's going to be like a data specialist or something. Cement mixer. (laughs) Yeah. I'm waiting for my cement mixer romantic comedy. I think you're right. Michelle Pfeiffer was an architect in One Fine Day. Oh, yes. But I love One Fine Day, by the way. You do have to reach Shout out far. to One Fine Day. <laughs> <laughs> so Rebel Wilson is an architect. She's living in New York, and she disdains romantic comedies. Uh, Heather, tell us why. Well, she thinks they're unrealistic, the, the same thing we discussed earlier. And she thinks 
they're sexist and, you know, they pit women against each other. And I think she uses the word toxic, right? Yeah, toxic. I, I think it, it just felt like a rant we'd heard before, like all the reasons anyone would hate romantic comedies that, you know, the the way they treat gender roles and make love the most important thing and kind of all of that stuff. Right. And we see a flashback to her childhood where we see it, the idea being implanted where she's watching Pretty Woman and her mom comes in. I don't know if it's outright stated, but it seems to be implied that her mother is a single mom. She comes in, she sits down with a drink and says, you know, these movies aren't for women like us. They don't make it for women like us. And we see this seed being planted. So then in the future, adult Rebel Wilson is working as an architect. Specifically, she's designing a parking garage for (laughs) a douchey client played by none other than Liam Hemsworth. Okay, Heather, we have to address the elephant in the room. You wrote a piece for Slate in which you revealed that you had been duped. Why were you duped? I thought it was Chris Hemsworth the whole time, I think, in the ads and while I was watching the movie. <laughs> and it it just changed my impression of what the movie was going to be. I was like, this is a big vehicle. You got Chris Hemsworth in it. This is going to be something. And I, it was only walking out of the movie <laughs> with, with Asia when I was like, yeah, that's so weird that Chris Hemsworth was in that. And then she started talking about something about Liam. And I was like, wait. With the, they just <laughs> there's another one Hemsworth saw me no I totally knew there were two but I just I thought it was Chris they look a lot alike and you know Chris has played this like hunky idiot guy before I, I guess we should describe the the Liam character he he shows up once the movie once Rebel Wilson gets conked on the head and switches into like rom-com land he shows up and he's like riding in a limo and he asks her out immediately he calls her beguiling and he he's just like this sort of dream guy who he doesn't even take her number he like is like you'll figure it out and like gives her like writes it on flower petals or something so I I could totally see Chris Hemsworth in that role and and Liam's been dormant for a while he he hasn't made any movies in the past few years (laughs) so well he doesn't first show up in romantic comedy world though he has a really subtle appearance right (laughs) right before the big switch where he is actually a client of her company and he's American (laughs) yeah because then once all of a sudden they're in romantic comedy world, he's Australian. And Rebel Wilson's like, why? Um, I thought that was kind of fun since the Hemsworth are Australian. It's interesting that you thought this was Chris Hemsworth because I know Asia has something to say in defense of Liam, the second most popular Hemsworth. He's my favorite. <laughs> why? Actually, on social media, he's hilarious. Um, and that's just part of his personality but when he came into Hollywood his first film was The Last Song which is a Nicholas Sparks movie so he was a romantic lead and then from there he did The Hunger Games and that was kind of like a suffering romantic lead and those were both dramas and we've really kind of only seen him within that so it was a nice break to see him making a joke of the characters that he plays so often and this type of like dreamy romantic lead male that I mean any Hemsworth can naturally play but it was just any fun Hemsworth to... will do <laughs> I, I don't know if that third Hemsworth could handle it like the oh, other two we haven't seen that happen it's, yet it's true 
Um, does anyone know if he plays the saxophone in real life? The The movie seems to enjoy trotting him out with the saxophone. There, right. The there's ending. a little... I don't have um, proof of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't have proof He's of that. I can't reveal it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That seemed to be a wink that maybe this is me, you know, conspiracy theorizing and reading too much into it. But in Ghostbusters, Chris Hemsworth, he plays sort of a ditzy secretary character. And at one point he holds up two pictures of himself shirtless and holding saxophones. And I thought maybe that was like a cute, deep cut, winky moment. Uh, But maybe I'm just a Hemsworth no, I, I think that's person. totally possible. And also, I think the saxophone is just understood to be, like, corny and 80s. Yeah. I don't know, in the way romantic comedies are, or 90s, maybe. Okay, so he has some competition for Rebel Wilson's heart uh, with her best friend, who is the classic, oh, you can't see love when it's staring you in the face character, Josh, played by Adam Devine. Uh, what do we think of Josh as a character? It seemed in the movie they were hitting it pretty hard, especially at the beginning where he's complimenting her, flirting with her, asking her out, and she's oblivious. I um, I actually thought that was pretty cute. Um, I think there are other roles that I, I haven't historically been a huge fan of Adam Devine, but I, I liked him here. And I, I think he did um, hit those notes pretty hard but i i think they have a nice chemistry and that sort of worked for the role but but at the same time um i do think you know if if this movie is going to be about um the rebel wilson as a non-standard rom-com lead who who still gets to be at the center of one then it, it's it's a little bit um, weird that she ends or that her love interest is Adam Devine or that's the guy she's meant to end up with. Like, it's definitely a, a statement about how the movie views Rebel Wilson and how she's, you know, not thought of as hot enough to, like, actually be with a Hemsworth. Like, there's all this, like, embedded stuff about... <laughs> right, there's baggage for sure. Yeah. And, and the other romantic rival for her who Adam uh, Devine is with is Priyanka Chopra who's famously one of the most beautiful women in the world Um, so tell us a little bit about that subplot Asia what happens there well she in the original world where like pre-romantic comedy she is just a woman on a billboard in front of Rebel Wilson's desk and Rebel Wilson's character like thinks Adam Devine is just looking at this beautiful model and that's just kind of how she's introduced and then in the romantic comedy world he see Josh sees her choking in Central Park <laughs> in Central Park <laughs> and goes and saves her life and they fall in love and she is a yoga ambassador ambassador thank you <laughs> um, which is repeated multiple times and Marissa I know you have thoughts on that I do. I hated that joke and how it was hammered so hard. And that's, I think, one of my main faults of this movie was that every joke that it made had to be pointed out and we had to be reminded of it. I mean, some of it was fun, like the Disneyfication of New York, where what, all of a sudden we're in a romantic comedy and her street, which is kind of like a 
normal looking New York street is suddenly very clean. It's full of boutiques and flower shops. The diversity of the city, suddenly everyone's white. It's really strange. Even her office, she makes a comment about it. Uh, the office where she works at first is a normal office. It has cubicles. It's a little messy. The lighting is not the most flattering. And then once this transformation is underway, it's beautiful and there's glass everywhere and someone is hoverboarding. Um, I think it, it hit made those jokes very well. The yoga ambassador joke. I didn't even get why that's funny because it's a fake job. I mean, they repeated it too much for what it was. To me, this was an example of the movie not being as subversive as it thought it was because Priyanka Chopra is your typical arch rival sort of villainous character who's beautiful and therefore we're not rooting for her. And they never really undermined that characterization. She's always that way. And I thought that was disappointing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that was a problem with uh, Natalie, Rebel Wilson's character, too. She was just too one-dimensional. Like, her thing is um, that she hates rom-coms. And do, do we know much else about her? Well, she hates rom-coms, and she looks like Rebel Wilson and, you know, makes self-deprecating jokes about that. But there, there was there needed to be more elements to to all of the characters, I think. <laughs> what are some of the other rom-com tropes uh, that we noticed in this movie? There's the musical number, but what comes before? How about The Gay Best Friend? Oh, The Gay Best Friend. The Gay Best Friend was <laughs> oh, actually one of the highlights of the movie, in my humble opinion. I, I just thought the actor doing that role <laughs> was really funny. Uh, what was his name? It's not a great sign, I know. So and yet it works perfectly. When you first see him, he's he just like lives in her apartment building and is is like a stoner drug dealer type, but he happens to be gay. But then he's remade into this very stereotypical, like quippy, um, calling everyone honey and snapping his fingers, and he's obsessed with fashion. And, you know, he he has no plot lines of his own. He just, like, appears out of nowhere to advise Rebel Wilson and and help her and be a sounding board for her. We were trying to think of examples. This is a really persistent trope in romantic comedies. At least it seems to be based on the kind of self-referential ones. So just recently, and this really influenced my reading of the movie, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, did a version of its own self-aware romantic comedy where all of the characters sort of beat for beat went through the motions of one and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a self-referential meta show to begin with. But it was especially interesting because the showrunner is Aileen Brosh McKenna, who's written some of the greatest romantic comedies of all time, Devil Wears Prada, 27 Dresses. And it was it nailed all of these tropes. And one of the same tropes that it latched onto that was in Isn't It Romantic is this idea of the best friend who has no inner life, who is completely obsessed with their friend's love life to the point where if that were really happening to you, you'd be a little creeped out. And Donnie in the movie, this gay best friend, definitely fits into that trope. But I had trouble coming up with actual examples of this in romantic comedies only because, yes, we know less about the best friend in the movies, but they're also a supporting character in someone else's film. Mm -hmm. 
So all the examples I could think of when Harry met Sally, you know, Carrie Fisher has her own emotional romantic arc to an extent. Can you guys think of any cliche? I I think the best friend, um, sometimes it's a black woman or it's not always, it's like a marginalized person some of the time. Sometimes it's a white woman too, but Judy Greer tends to get that role a lot. Um, it's, I, I think you're right though. Why is the gay best friend such a cliche when like, are there that many? I, a big one would probably be my best friend's wedding, the Rupert Everett character, but if he gets more to do and is more drawn into the plot. Then in Bridget Jones's diary in her click there, there's, um, the, the gay man, uh, who else though? The worst offender I can think of is a very recent example, and that is a Christmas Prince oh, Netflix's yes. that Christmas romantic great comedy, gay best friend. which is almost a, if if it were not so serious, it would be a parody of romantic comedies, and <laughs> that it so strictly adheres to the formula. But in that movie, the female lead has exactly one female black friend and exactly one sassy gay stereotype friend. And they have no inner life whatsoever. They only appear for her to Skype them and be like, oh, the prince, the prince. And they don't have names, right, Marissa? <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> oh, I, I just thought of the ultimate gay best friend is from TV, not movies, but it's Stanford from yeah. Sex and the City. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> I thought this movie owed a lot to Sex and the City, visually at least, especially in the depiction of New York. I guess a little bit in You've Got Mail and other movies, but there was something... Very Sex in the City, uh, and even in the sort of clumsiness protagonist way. Yeah, I was telling Marissa, I just was rewatching Sex in the City this weekend, naturally, as one does. Um, and in the first episode, when we are introduced to Mr. Big, we have Carrie like walking down the street, and she drops her purse, and he picks it up for her. And as she's walking away, she like stumbles down the sidewalk, <laughs> and he's just like smiling, and instantly he's like interested in her because she like is in these really high heels, like tripping down a New York sidewalk. And that's one of the tropes Rebel Wilson's ca- character Natalie calls out explicitly: the sort mm-hmm. of klutzy but cute lead, which was interesting to me because Rebel Wilson incorporates a lot of physical comedy into her acting and it says a lot to me the movie at times seemed to stray away from the fact that you know she's a plus size lead and that contributes to rom-coms not being for her but that to me was a big one because she stops like a runaway cart early in the movie uh like physically she stops it because of her size and that's the joke and it knocks her down and her life is not very glamorous and i i just remember thinking like that's such a rebel Wilson kind of bit. And then you have the romantic comedy typical lead who's klutzy and falls down and we're supposed to find that cute and endearing. And it's played in very different ways. And I wish the movie had made a little bit more of that. I agree. I just with something like the cart, I just feel like is that still necessary? I get that it's Rebel Wilson, but do we need such, do we need a joke like that about her size, you know, in a film like this? Like I didn't necessarily know I didn't really feel like it was something we needed to have. Whereas, like, as you said, in most romantic comedies, it's like a cute sort of like, oh, my gosh, look at me just like accidentally tripping down a sidewalk or a staircase or whatever it is. And it's adorable. And I don't know why we couldn't have something like that in this film or, you know, why we needed to have moments like that where it's like, oh, this is a plus size woman and look at her 
stuffing a hot dog cart with her body. <laughs> I mean, before we go into rom-com world, there are a lot of instances of that. I mean, what actually triggers her, what we later find out is a coma, but what she imagines to be this romantic comedy alternate timeline is that she gets mugged <laughs> really so horribly really after coming off the subway. Yeah, that scene is is awful. <laughs> it's really bad. It, because she gets mugged but also there there's so much of her like she runs like straight into like a pillar and or one of those subway pillars and it looks like it really hurts and and the mugger is like actively beating her up in a way that like why is Rebel Wilson okay or I guess it's part of her physical comedy but that it's supposed to be funny is even so weird because I don't like watching women get beat up. (laughs) Right. It's interesting, too, that so then after that point, she wakes up in a hospital or she says, this is not a hospital. This is a Williams Sonoma um, and everything has changed. It's interesting that that wasn't the meet cute. She wasn't rescued at that point. Instead, she wakes up directly in the hospital. Uh, It's sort of early in the movie signaled to me that this was more subtle about like it it hits romantic comedy tropes it hits some of them very exactly I read um, the director Todd Strauss Schulson told Glamour that he watched 80 romantic comedies before making this movie and he noticed some really tiny details like half moon windows lunettes as they're called I didn't even notice this at the time I was watching the movie but they're everywhere they're in all romantic comedies they're in this movie a ton so the physical details are definitely right. That just seemed like a missed opportunity to get the rom-com meet cute in when when Natalie wakes up in the hospital. And, you know, her, her nurse is very hot, but that's not her romantic lead. Yeah, I actually think it could have hit the tropes a little harder. I mean, I also love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and I think... One they did on that show that was great is they sort of had this this fake relationship between two of the characters to make two of the other characters jealous. And, and that was great. And they, they didn't do that in um, Isn't It Romantic? And there are sort – I mean, there are other ones I think they missed. But in general, like, is the rom-com – do we need another parody of the rom-com? Like, is it that parodyable? <laughs> um, uh because I was thinking this movie reminded me of Enchanted a little bit. Mm. And I totally get what Enchanted is sort of a, a takeoff of. It's like a, it's a Disney movie with, with like all of these little creatures in the forest. But when we're talking about the rom-com, I, I think there are certain tropes and we've mentioned some of them. But it just doesn't seem as like entertaining to me to be to be like... I don't know. I I don't think they made it new enough. I don't think they the lunettes is great, but I think in other they sort of fumbled other ones. Like that they made a big deal about how Rebel Wilson couldn't curse in the movie. They they bleeped her out when she said the f word, but that's not like a thing I really notice about romantic comedies. Oh, their lack of cursing. Well, the joke was, oh no, it's PG thirteen. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I, ugh, I don't know. I, I think, and 
there are certain things we've just seen it parodied too many times the sex scene where they uh, just cut to the curtains sort of blowing and I think they did that in a funny way but I I'm just I've seen that enough times that I don't I didn't need a whole movie of that (laughs) right and they that's another joke that they really beat to death where Mm -hmm. she does it over and over where she's determined to have sex with Liam Hemsworth but every single time it cuts to him coming out of the shower the next morning. Mm-hmm. So, um, spoiler, you do get to see him shirtless. <laughs> this is the spoiler they special. They give it away in the trailer. So it's oh, like, darn. it's a Hemsworth. He's half naked. Come but to our which movie. Which Hemsworth? <laughs> Wait, no one will say. So Natalie and Liam are kind of sort of dating. She's very resistant at first. In fact, she goes to extreme lengths to try to break the rom-com facade of her world, including trying to jump in front of a subway. And that was <laughs> that was dark. I I was not expecting that. I don't know how I feel about it. Heather, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I guess that is dark. That a had lot of Groundhog dark... Day kind of vibes. Yeah. Where she was trying to escape Although instead of waking up in the romantic comedy again, she was actually she was rescued and then like hauled off to the police station, which seemed in violation of romantic comedy rules. I can't think of a romantic comedy heroine (laughs) who's ever been arrested, although maybe I'm wrong there. Just my luck. Lindsay Lohan. Wow. In real life, she's been arrested. I mean, yes, but also in the movie, movie too, when she didn't have luck anymore. Mm. Yeah. But I don't know. It was a lot of dark things happened in the subway tunnels. I think that's another thing about like, oh, it's funny that horrible stuff happens to Rebel Wilson or her character. They're the movies writers and directors not really actually treating her as a rom-com heroine, but treating it her as someone whose abuse is is just this hilarious joke. <laughs> yes, and that's, I mean, yeah, I felt, the sa- I felt the way when she was getting attacked in the subway tunnel, when she tried to, like, die in the subway tunnel, when she was getting, when stopping hot dog carts. It's like a bunch of different stuff that we just didn't need. <laughs> I mean, the point, though, to an extent, is that she's a real woman in a romantic comedy world. So in a way, it kind of works. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's some inconsistency on on whether or what rom-com world is and what the rules are. Um, but I, I think you're right that that's, that's what's going on. <laughs> so in her romantic life, she has Liam Hemsworth being all Australian and charming and making big speeches in the middle of the street. And arranging dates where he doesn't provide any details and just trusts that they'll find each other. And also just doing weird things like, what was he doing with a bush where he was sort of just like, I don't know. Kicking his foot. <laughs> <laughs> he, d- he has a lot of weird background things and he's like always talking to his dad. It's true. <laughs> that kind of talking to his dad trope suggested to me that he is also... A character in his own romantic comedy. (laughs) Like, it's not, it's kind of a cliche that, you know, the character, the characters are distant from their family because they're so obsessed with work or something. And it's supposed to symbolize their not prioritizing love and relationships. But I felt that way about every character in this movie. Like, Priyanka Chopra's character, for all that she wasn't fleshed out, she's a yoga ambassador. I guess more, it was more Adam Devine's plot line where he has a romantic interest and he has an upcoming wedding 
But it was weird how they all sort of were in their own little genre. I guess <laughs> Liam Hemsworth could be the manic pixie dream boy. Um, yeah, but I don't know if he was like, quote unquote, quirky enough. Yeah, like, definitely not. He was a little uh, by the book and in just like wearing a suit and being so handsome. Uh, but I can see that. So in the film, Rob Wilson's character has a sort of best friend who is her assistant Whitney. I think it's like the closest you can call like consider you could consider her a best friend, right? Yeah, mm. um, a real best friend, not a yeah, not a stereotype. Gay yeah, <laughs> yeah, a stereotypical best friend. And before they enter the rom com world, she is this woman who totally believes in romantic comedies, very very much opposite of Rebel Wilson, um, and she kind of sees the world in like this beautiful way and thinks love can happen and all these things that Rebel Wilson really just is like not having. Um, and then once we enter the rom-com world, she is her professional rival and she hates Rebel Wilson's character because women can't like each other romantic comedies. And I don't really think she changes from that in the, <laughs> the romantic comedy world. Um, all that really happens is when we go back to the normal world, Rebel Wilson's kind of like met her where she's at a little bit more um, and is more open and willing to see her point of view on romantic comedies and is less cynical and yeah. Yeah, I don't even think the women hating each other at work is such a big rom-com thing. Yeah. I guess that that happens, but uh, rivalries certainly happen in, in 13 going on 30 mm -hmm. or, or working girl, but like to me that's not a trope that uh, is a staple. <laughs> Legally Blonde especially crushes this trope mm -hmm. where when Elle goes to Harvard and by the end of the movie she's best friends with her ex's yeah. other ex-fiance. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, it was one of the early criticisms in the movie that women hate each other in romantic comedies. This movie positions itself as kind of a woke romantic comedy in some ways that don't really hold up. Like, in the work plot, it's not as though all of a sudden Natalie and Whitney are best friends in the rom-com world, which I think would have been the more sort of modern, contemporary uh, way to play it. Instead, it's more about Natalie's self-actualization and, like, learning to love herself. So there's another classic rom-com plot, the My Best Friend's Wedding plot, that occurs partway into this movie when... Uh, Priyanka Chopra's character, Isabella, and Adam Devine's character, Josh, uh, decide that they're going to get married very suddenly. I, I guess they're all in the Hamptons. for some. They were invited to someone's house. They're, they're deliberately vague about it because everyone's like, oh, it's a rom-com. And, and that allows them to do, I think, some very sloppy writing. So they all end up in the Ham Hamptons and then... Isabella just announces, oh, by the way, we're going to turn this into our engagement party. We're getting married tomorrow. And um, I think this is around when uh, Natalie has realized that actually she should be with Adam Devine's character, Josh. Um, so so they sort of sped up the timeline. In, and um, she has this realization that the two belong together. But sort of more importantly, she realizes that he has been flirting with her all along and she's been so closed off that she hasn't been receptive to it. And that is basically Natalie's emotional journey of the whole movie. Because then we get the classic 
rush to the altar Mm -hmm. wedding objection, which was very funny. Hilarious. Even before that, though, we find out that our Hemsworth is not such a great guy. (laughs) And he is like very archaic and thinks that Natalie shouldn't be working anymore and tries to take her idea as his own. And so that's a really quick resolution with that relationship. Um, And then, yes, and then we get a great running scene, which I feel is very classic rom-com, where Natalie is running to try to stop the wedding because we're pretending we're in a world where like cell phones don't exist or something. Uh, (laughs) And what's fun about that is that's actually, I feel like that's actually like a funny moment that like plays into like women who don't have like boobs that are like super small and can run without a sports bra and she's like dying and like holding on to them and like <laughs> can't handle it it's very realistic and hilarious even though it's in slow motion yeah exaggeratedly motion. <laughs> so i i love the run that was fun for me and then she makes it to the church and things happen things happen specifically she does the classic i object uh interrupting the wedding but in possibly what is supposed to be the most subversive moment in the movie, she has the realization, I love, and she's supposed to say Josh, or she's supposed to say to Josh, I love you. But instead she says, I love me. <laughs> um, how did we feel about this? Well, that had to happen, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had to do the scene at the church and... I guess it felt a little perfunctory <laughs> to me, but um, pr- pretty crucial to this movie's project. <laughs> yeah, it happened right after she had a heart-to-heart with her, with Donnie, her gay best friend with no interior life, after he actually opens up to her and reveals that there is a little bit more to him than the stereotype and gets a little bit serious. That, to me, was it was so it was too little too late. He opened up. She had the realization that she needs to love herself and be open to love. It it was too last minute and too clean to me. Am I wrong? I'm with you. Agreed. I mean, I think she needed to have enough self-confidence and enough love for herself, but she also needed to be with Josh in, like, the real world and not the romantic comedy world, too. So it was, like, doing, like, double duty on that because she needed to somehow get out of there so they could have like a real romance so it just like worked in that way but I yeah I agree with all of your observations how does she ultimately find her way out of the rom-com world so after she realizes she loves herself she leaves the church and jumps in the just married car it's convertible um and she is riding off into so-called sunset just like loving herself um and then she crashes which takes her back to reality except she has and we've learned that she has been in a coma but she has undergone a legitimate emotional journey Mm -hmm. and she arrives back in the real world ready to take on her love life and her work plot she had a big revelation about the parking garage that she's designing for Liam Hemsworth in real life, American Liam Hemsworth, and his hotel. And she makes an impassioned presentation about how parking garages are taken for granted. And she has this an idea to open it up and put glass and have it filled with light. 
and she dazzles everyone and she's full of confidence <laughs> and she's comes into the meeting and just bursts in. Uh, obviously, the parking garage is her. It's a metaphor. I mean, I thought that was fine. I, I actually like that. I'm The whole thing of her being an architect, but for parking garages, I think that works. Uh, I, and I think the, the presentation works for what it is. Right. It's a less glamorous version of your classic architect and movie dream job. Right. Because yes. parking garages are probably not the most glamorous aspect. And I think that goes well, right? What does her boss say about it? They like it. They, okay. Her boss <laughs> approves. American Liam Hemsworth, the douchey one, approves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she goes back out into the office with this newfound sense of confidence, and she gets her love life sorted, kind of. I'm not even sure, actually, though, that they're all like, yes, do that. She's kind of just like, I'm going to go work on this now, because they're all just like <laughs> shocked, and she like walks out, and she's like, I'm just going to do this. Thank you. And she walks out. I think she got like a, a small approval. <laughs> It wasn't like everyone clapping for her or anything. Yeah, that's no, true. <laughs> um, so she comes out of the office and we get a nice full circle with the idea that Josh has been gazing out the window at a swimsuit model poster. This scene to me, I laughed throughout and I'm not sure it was supposed to be funny. I hated this. <laughs> this was really on the nose where it's obvious from the beginning of the movie that Josh is not looking out the window at a swimsuit model who just so happens to be behind Rebel Wilson. He's looking at Natalie. It, there's yeah, no subtlety duh. there. Yeah, duh. So the movie goes to great lengths to explain that he's been looking at Natalie, which I guess is for her benefit. But as an audience member, I was like, mm-hmm, we get it. We get it. Let's get to, you know, kissing yeah, or I something. Mean, he, he like was like, go sit over there and then look back at me. Now do you see? It's so unnecessary. You're so right. So he, he looks, he goes to sit in her seat and has her sit where he's been sitting. And she looks over and sees his reflection. And then he says something really obvious, like, I've been looking at you. Also, she's an architect. Like, shouldn't she understand building layouts and perspectives better than anyone? (laughs) (laughs) So they they don't wind up riding into the sunset, though. They leave things on the kiss. And then they're sort of, like, agreeing they'll go out. Maybe to karaoke. Why to karaoke? Well, karaoke, at the beginning of the movie, he always asked her out to karaoke. And that that was part of her, you know, excuse for thinking it wasn't a real date or invitation because it was with a group. And then in rom-com world, we karaoke also plays a part, obviously. So is this the night before the wedding they have a karaoke party? They do, yeah. Okay. And... As happens in all romantic comedies, for no reason, Rebel Wilson is pressured into doing karaoke, even though she can't sing. But she's rescued by the universe and yeah. how it conspires there to help her. Some backup singers that happen to be in in the front row, and they they just are right near her, and they just start backing up her performance, and then it it sort of transitions into this big party where everyone is singing and there's choreographed dancing and it's so fun. Yeah, it's interesting because they also do like a choreographed full dance number, like everyone at the party and Priyanka Chopra is there and she's sort of trying to undermine Natalie. This is another example where like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend did this 
and did it so well with an original song called Gratuitous Karaoke Moment. My thoughts exactly. Like, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend really nailed this. And so, you know, and also I think Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it's more specific about what it's doing. I think there have certainly been, like, gratuitous uh, singing plots in these movies um, my best friend's wedding comes to mind when when they're all singing at the table. But that's not the heroine. That's what's interesting about my best friend's wedding is that it's the heroine trying to humiliate her rival and it backfiring. I think I think the most interesting version of this is when it actually leads to something. Yeah, totally. And I just I think them doing a Whitney Houston song is so you know, non-specific, just just breaking out into dance. It, is it a cliche that everyone breaks out into dance in rom-coms? Like, not really. I like it. I think the the musical number is a is a cliche on its own. But I appreciated how a uh, crazy ex-girlfriend tackled this, where they they were explaining stuff while it was happening, and it was also a duet where between them the dynamic changed. So I, I think you're right that why couldn't this be used in a, a, a way that also forwarded the plot? <laughs> and that's an example of the movie trying to have its cake and eat it, too, mm-hmm. where it it has the trappings of these romantic comedies. It's not necessarily saying anything interesting about them. It's just uh, Ingu Kang reviewed this movie for Slate, and she wrote that it revels in its pleasures, and I think that's about right. Yeah, and, and I think it's fun that the... the Dance sequence especially is fun to watch, but <laughs> we're, we're having remem- trouble remembering what happened in the movie because it's fun, but it's it's just not, you know, it wasn't memorable in a lot of ways or it didn't have useful commentary. <laughs> There's not a lot of substance. It's a cotton yeah. candy movie, but it's not proud of being a cotton candy movie. It has to find angles to come at this stuff almost like it's making excuses. It's just like throwing us a lot of tropes or a lot of perceived tropes and not really saying that much about them and just kind of like rolling through them. And it was fun, but yeah, I, I didn't like I didn't remember a lot of it after. Here's a question, especially for you, Asia, as uh, someone who has like an encyclopedic knowledge of romantic comedies. Is this a romantic comedy? Yes. Yes? Yes. Definitely? Yeah, it is. Heather, do you agree? Yeah, what else would it be? <laughs> a satire. It, could, it would be a satire of a romantic it's, comedy. No, it's de- it's a romantic it, comedy. It's a, it's a satire, but it it still also is one. <laughs> I think I more or less agree. Mm-hmm. I think I wanted it to be a little sharper in its commentary. I wanted it to be more subversive. I thought it was fun. I would watch a romantic comedy starring Rebel Wilson, but I don't know that this was the best way to do it. Agreed. I mean, if you're going to just make it a romantic comedy, make it a romantic comedy. But if you want to have, like, interesting commentary and be subversive and, like, do all these different things, like, actually commit to that and do it. So it was kind of like this weird, like, lukewarm sort of place that it was in that made it a little more difficult to root for. I thought another interesting part of Ingu's review was when she talked about how this movie, you know, casting a a plus size woman it's sort of like the attempt to equal the playing field but it only works for the the blonde woman 
at the center. And we saw the same thing in I Feel Pretty with Amy Schumer, um, where it just leaves so many people out, this this type of subversive movie, where the only thing that's subversive is she's slightly larger. They're, like, there's so much else that doesn't happen. And um, I think the minority characters are also sidelined in this movie. Priyanka Chopra, the gay best friend, in in a way that also shows us how the, the politics of this movie aren't fully thought out. Well, Donnie gets justice because <laughs> back in the real world, okay. when she eventually returns, she sees the real Donnie in the hallway and is surprised to learn that he's actually gay. And then he makes a comment about, oh, did you want me to be a stereotype? <laughs> and he's her weed dealer. And I thought that was very funny. But other characters do not get that kind of justice. Yeah, and even, I mean, Robert Wilson's character, I think before they go into the romantic comedy world, she mentions how white romantic comedies are, and then it just becomes that, basically. Oh, that's so throwaway, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just like, hmm, okay. <laughs> right, it pointed it out almost as sort of an excuse to, to then be do that exactly way. that. Yeah, I mean, we have Priyanka Chopra, but I mean, what? she's not doing I, that much. Yeah, I think they could have done more with her role, too. So much more. That's, I think, why the yoga ambassador jokes did not sit well with me, mm-hmm. because they were never expanded on. She didn't turn out to secretly be a wonderful person all along. She didn't run away with Liam Hemsworth. There was no kind of justice for her. She was just this figure that Natalie's imagination brought in, uh, and that seemed like a waste. Is this movie the future of rom-coms? Is, isn't it romantic? The self-aware, self-parodic, even if not so much as we'd like, version of a romantic comedy, what we should expect going forward? I really hope not, honestly. Like, I want them to come into 21st century and, you know, be more diverse and, you know, all of the different things that they have kind of lacked in the past in terms of representation. Um, but I love romantic comedies and I want to be able to sit back and just enjoy watching two people fall in love. Like, is that too much to ask? <laughs> um, I think you're so right. Uh, if we think of one movie that's maybe the future of the rom-com, I'm thinking The Big Sick from last year uh, with um, someone who starring Kamel Nanjiani, who historically has been left out of the rom-com, that seems so much more forward-looking than this. Uh, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel and in, in satirizing the form. Like Asia was saying, it's always going to be fun to just watch two people falling in love. So let's get back to basics. <laughs> well, I hope uh, to talk to you both about future romantic comedies right here. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Marissa. Thanks, Asia. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Danielle Hewitt. For Asia and Heather, I'm Marissa. Thank you for listening. Thank you.